Well, good morning and welcome again to Grace Community. I'm Brad Talley, the teaching elder. We've already had a sermon today, so there's no need to preach. Uh, had several sermons today. Actually, we're going to continue thinking about children's ministry for just a little bit. Keisha, if you'll come back up here, I have a few questions for you. Um, we are at that time of year where we've had turnover at the beginning of the summer. Some students who were in the PA school, PT, or med school have, have gone on, and, and uh, so we need some workers in children's ministry. Tell us why people will be glad they signed up for children's ministry. Well, if you have a pulse and you're sitting in here this morning, <laughs> that video should have really said it all. So, yep. Uh, Cuteness of children. Oh, my word. They're wonderful. That's exactly why I do what I do. They are beautiful. But um, there are just lots of great things about children's ministry. Um, one is what these children were expressing. I would say that that's probably the most, uh, probably the best thing about serving in children's ministry because you are at the disposal of the Holy Spirit to transform lives. Now notice, it's not you transforming lives for Christ, but it's the Spirit, and you're putting yourself at His disposal um, to use you to do that. So I would say that's the first thing, because research shows that by the time that children are 13 years old, okay, a lot of the ideas that impact them, and especially their religious views, um, are pretty set. They're saying that those are views that they will have for the rest of their lives, and obviously, by the intervention of the Spirit, that's not always the case, but by and large, those foundational things are set. And so you have an opportunity to impact them at that young age for Christ because whatever we're not putting in as Christian worldview, the world is putting in to them um, aside from that. So that's, that's the biggest thing. Um, the second thing I would say is building relationships with other adults. Like if you don't ever get to see people on Sunday morning and they're not in your home group, then Back in children's ministry is a great way to do that because you can see them on your Sunday. Every Sunday when you work, the same individuals will be working back there, and so you can kind of build relationships. Um, and then also, children will help you, I would say, remember your humanity <laughs> because you will look at them and, you know, you won't always be happy, but you'll also, that will give you a chance for the Lord to remind you that you're not perfect and that you need a Savior. So... Um, that's really good. Everybody who's a parent has, has probably done that, witnessed that. Maybe in the last half hour, um, you, you've been reminded of that. So I would say that those so, things are all So big, it's sanctification so. training. That's, that's what you're saying. Yeah, okay. Sanctification. All right. So, hey, this will be a good time. How many of you made a profession of faith before you were 13 years old? Raise your hand. All right. That's more than half. Uh, quite a few of you uh, clearly were reprobates before you got saved at a later age. But... Um, so, how many workers do we need? Well, believe it or not, we operate every month with 68 volunteers back there. 68 volunteers is what it takes to run children's ministry. And this fall, we're short uh, six people. Um, we have uh, positions for four assistants, hmm. teacher assistants, who offer extra help. They're not responsible for the lesson, but they're extra help. And then we have two teachers, a preschool and uh, two different preschool teachers that we're needing for the fall. So um, you're not there every Sunday? No, no. You're only uh, serving once a month, and that's because at Grace, uh, our primary ministry to children happens during this worship service. And 
we have a priority, our elders have a priority for our body to be in worship, you know, growing in the word and, and growing together as a church family. And so we only ask that you miss this worship time one time per month uh, back there. You're on a set Sunday if you're working in preschool or elementary, for example, every first Sunday of the month you would be serving, so it's predictable. Um, in infant and toddler, you also have an opportunity to block out dates and to kind of give a range of, well, I can't be here on this Sunday, that kind of thing, when the schedule is set. It's sometimes the same every month, but not, not necessarily. So we're six workers short. What happens if we don't have enough workers? Oh, isn't that interesting? Well, the funny <laughs> thing is, you sitting in here would likely most of the time not know that we're scrambling behind those doors to try to make everything work. Um, we do want parents to be able to worship as freely as they can, so we try to make it work no matter what happens. But um, essentially, uh, several things could happen. Uh, we have to group our volunteers. So say a class that would normally have two classes that would have four adults, we might have to group with only two adults, and then they get, you know, it's not as safe, and they don't get as good of instruction. Um, I guess worst-case scenario, we would have to bring an entire age group of children into the service, and they would not be able to have their class. Um, and then probably equally as, as sad in my book is just that we have a lot of volunteers who are so dedicated, but if we have to put them on, like this month, we have several volunteers who are serving twice a month, twice during August. So that means they miss the service two times during the month. And that just leads to burnout and um, helps them sort of forget the reason they're back there um, when there's not enough help and everything. So we want to keep our volunteers encouraged and in the service and everything. Yeah, it's kind of an unusual setup. I mean, if we had a traditional, when I say traditional, I could almost say old school because so many churches don't have a traditional Sunday school anymore. But people would be working in there year-round. And I, some of you taught Sunday school for how many years? 30, 40 years? Almost every week, every week. Maybe you'd take a break every now and then, but it's different now. If we had two services, in fact, you could both serve and be in a service, but it would require even more workers. Um, so why is it that children's ministry, this is the last question, and this will tie in very nicely with the wedding that we had here yesterday and also the message. Why is it that children's ministry is the concern of every single member of Grace Community Church? Well, children, children, you guys know, are, I mean, they're the future. They're the future of the church itself, and they're the future in the world, the light of Christ out in the world. And when we dedicate children or babies um, at Grace Community Church, we all covenant. I don't know if you remember that, but as a church body, we covenant to stand alongside the parents and to help them raise their children in the instruction of the Lord and to be disciples of their children. And so it's, it's a partnership between the church and the parents. And that covenant, you know, is a promise. As we've talked about, we're a covenant family at Grace. And that's a lot about commitment. <laughs> it's about standing up to keep that promise when it's difficult, you know, because God, God always keeps our, his promise to us even when we fall short. You know, he, he went the extra mile. But um, we're committed to each other in this family, and we want our children to understand that as well, that... Um, that we're just a body and that God's given us gifts to serve each other uniquely in the body. So um, thank you to all the volunteers who already serve. I appreciate you so much. And, and I am thankful and I look forward to, to who God's going to call um, to help us minister this year. So. 
Thank you, Keisha, very much. It is amazing to watch how the Lord fills the needs year after year, sort of at the last minute so many times. That's just the way God works, as we're finding out with the Hunzikers. It looks like Joe and Stefania and children um, just be praying. It looks this is the week, the crucial week. Good shot that they're going to be able to come on an entirely different visa than we anticipated. But that's just the way... It's a pattern of God's working in our lives. Have you ever been in, in, a, in a place where it feels like you go until the last minute and you're thinking it's never going to happen and then boom, 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 everything falls into place. That happens with children's ministry, ministry, but let me tell you what else happens. And that is that some people are back there two and three weeks out of the month. And, and you can understand why they say, I just can't do this anymore. We need to spread the service. We, we find that in all ministries at Grace. When people serve uh, to the point of breaking, they just say, I'm going to step back before I break. And so help us with the children here at Grace Community Church. They belong to all of us, uh, every single one of us. The message this morning is a great deal about family. And I want to begin this message by asking you, a question that's in the modern day. How do you get your news? Television? Internet? Print newspaper? Let me say that a little louder. Print newspaper? Um, yes, okay. All the senior citizens say yes. Conspiracy theory websites? Facebook? Oh, help us all. So, so when is the last time that you felt good about the direction of our country and about the, the, the situation in the world at large? It's been a while, hasn't it? I, I know that many of you are excited about the elections in, in November. The world is obsessed with power and money and sex and suffering. These are the things that we see over and over and over on the news because that's what sells advertising, and of course, that's what makes the news. Uh, the world's view on all of these things is far different than God's plan for the ways that he wants his people to view these major issues of life. And once again, you could see that being instilled in our children. You, you can see them getting the right understanding of who God is and how we relate to him and how he relates or how he works in the world. Today is the first of three weeks in the final chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews 13. And that in turn is going to wrap up our year-long session or study in this very powerful first century sermon set to scroll. I mean, Hebrews contains a lot more, I'm sure you've picked up on this as we've gone through, it, it contains a lot more information than it does exhortation. But a great deal of the information that we discover in Hebrews just cries out for application. It cries out for us to respond to the Lord in the ways that we believe and the ways that we live. In our text today, the author moves abruptly from this warning at the end of chapter 12, warning not to walk away from Jesus back to depending on your good works to get you to heaven, to right to um, uh, an admonition, encouragement and admonition for the believers in this small and persecuted church to live as though they belong to Jesus. 
Today's text is Hebrews 13, 1 through 6. Because of the way uh, this text moves from one topic to another, it seemed best to me that let's just go through it, let's work through topic by topic, verse by verse, and then we'll go back and apply what deep down we already know based on the Holy Spirit living us and according to God's Word. Uh, the author says so very much with an economy of words. It's our custom to stand as the Scripture is read, and I'm going to ask you to do so if you would this morning. Please stand as we read from Hebrews 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what, what, I will not fear what can man do to me. Let's pray. Father, We have so many concerns today about our brothers and sisters. We recognize that many are going through traumatic times. And as we think about how we ought to live, we do so based on the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and eternal life. Lord, when our resurrected bodies will live forever with him. Gary Stevens' mother is about to meet Jesus. And we think how sad. She won't be thinking that for long. Lord, lift our eyes to the heavens. May we look to our perfect Savior. And may that make a difference. Not only in the way that we feel. But Lord, in the way that we live our lives. Do in our hearts today what your word has intended to be done. Accomplish it, we pray, through the Holy Spirit and your perfect plan. It's all in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Well, this section begins, let brotherly love continue. Uh, that's an indication that there's been a whole lot of love and that's been going on. For quite some time. But it's also a powerful message to the entire world about the creator of the universe. And the redeemer of all who will believe that Jesus died for their sins. You kept hearing that over and over and over by the children this morning. What does it mean that Jesus died for our sins? I, I grew up hearing that. I had no idea what it meant when I was 18 years old. And finally, 
fell on my face before the Lord and said, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner, and I'm coming through Jesus, I, I, that's all. And immediately the Lord saved me. It was, and as I grew, though, as a believer, that I understood that, that Jesus had to come and pay that sacrifice for my sin. Because the old system that was set up in the Old Testament of, bull, of, of bulls and goats being sacrificed for sin was never going to cover sin completely. It was always, always bubbling back up and constantly sacrifices had to be made. And the whole book of Hebrews has told us that Jesus died once and for all. And when we trust that Jesus died for us, then we become his child. That's what was being communicated um, in the book of Hebrews. And so the encouragement to keep on loving one another is, is, a, is, a, is an indication that, that God has brought this family together that used to be primarily made up of his people, the Jews, and a few Gentiles that said, yeah, we like what you've got going on. We'll do whatever it takes to be a part of this nation. Now, we're told that the nation goes well beyond just the borders of Israel or the people of that race. It's all who will believe in Jesus. We're all part of the family. Let brotherly love continue. Now Hebrews 13.1 is not saying make sure you have warm and powerful feelings for one another. Emotions are often associated with love, but that's not what he's talking about. He's saying love one another by serving one another in the body. A specific emphasis in today's text is taking care of brothers and sisters in, in need as we're going to see a few verses from now. But the larger message is the privilege and responsibility of belonging to the family of God. A responsibility that includes serving in children's ministry. That includes coming together to make a spectacular wedding yesterday for a young couple who have come to Christ in the last year. And are just getting going. Um, in, in, in verse 2. The hospitality that is encouraged here. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Uh, it's, it's first intended for believers and then for all. You, you may or may not know that in the first century. Um, when people traveled. And there was a great deal of mobility in the first century. The road system of the Roman Empire was quite the marvel. And people used it. There were people coming and going all the time. And inns. Uh, hotels of the first century were not good places to stay. Oftentimes thieves and prostitutes were there. And not only was it an unpleasant place to stay, but it was an unsafe place to stay as well. And so believers were encouraged to open their homes and provide both shelter and food for travelers. Now just imagine that. It's just anybody that comes along, hey, come on home and stay with us. Uh, we need to, you know, kill another animal or go to market Whatever, because we've got company and we're going to, and you never knew when that was going to happen. Travelers could show up toward the end of the day. Now, this happened frequently amongst the, the, the community of faith. People would move from one place to another and believers would welcome them in. But also they would welcome unbelievers in because you can imagine here's an opportunity to share the gospel. And then what's going to happen with that traveler when he or she converts? 
more he than she in that day. The gospel is going with them. That's one of the ways the gospel spread everywhere. Even though there was persecution, people would stay in one another's homes and the good news would be shared and received. The latter part of verse 2 has been the foundation for a great deal of speculation and angel sightings in modern times. Uh, This idea is no doubt based on Abraham's hospitality to visitors who turned out to be angels recorded in Genesis 18. You remember the three men came up and he says, hey, get a calf quick. We've got to take care of our visitors. Turns out that two of those visitors were angels and one was the Lord himself. Now, it could have been a theophany where God came down in the form of a human being. A theophany in the Old Testament, God showed up in lots of ways, like the burning bush for Moses, the smoking pot, when he made a covenant with Abraham, fire, the cloud, pillar, uh, all different kinds of ways that God revealed himself in the Old Testament. Could have been a Christophany, uh, an appearance of Jesus Christ in the flesh. I tend to think that, but, you know, I don't have any specific basis for saying I'm sure that was Jesus. Either way, one of the men was a divine manifestation and the other two were angels. So let me ask you, don't raise your hand. I'm just wondering, do you think you've encountered an angel somewhere in this life? I know a lot of you are convinced that there are angels riding around uh, the vehicles of someone you love. Because if it weren't for the angels, uh, they wouldn't be be a part of this world anymore. But a, a number of people are convinced that they have encountered angels in this life. And this would be the verse that you would point to and you would be right in pointing to this verse to say that that happens today. But know this, his emphasis is more on hospitality than it is looking out for angels. He's not talking so much about, hey, just better be nice to people. You may, uh, may entertain an angel. His, his emphasis is care about your brothers and sisters in Christ and then let that care overflow to the world at large. Nonetheless, it, it's clear some have encountered angels and I'd be really surprised if someone in here has not encountered an angel. I think it It may happen even more frequently in in places where the word is not prevalent uh, to begin to point people to God, but no one ever comes to the Lord or Jesus without hearing and believing the word, which is one of the reasons it's so important for us to take the word out. Got a missions um, uh, conference coming up soon at Grace Community Church. You'll be hearing more about that in the near future. And our mission team will be meeting after church today. So be praying for them and our, our uh, responsibility to take the gospel not only to the back of this building but also to the entire uh, world. Well, verse 3, like all of Hebrews 13, needs to be read first in the context of family then with those outside the family in view. You may remember from Hebrews 10 that the author was saying, there was a time, don't you remember, where some of you went to prison for your faith and others of you went to visit those who were in prison. And that was a big deal because in that day, in the first century, it's not like going to visit somebody today. 
you go to a prison today and people say, wow, it's just great that this person has one people who will come and visit. But in that day, if you went to visit somebody in prison, you're suspicious, suspicious just as much as the person who's in prison. If Caleb Lesnoff is in, in jail, I don't anticipate that happening anytime soon. But if Caleb's in jail, you know, and I go to visit Caleb, they're saying, hmm, what's up with this guy? You know, maybe he's got the same issues Caleb has. So... The author was saying, remember the days when you were incarcerated. Go and visit your brothers in prison. Remember them as if you were in prison. And it, make it so you're in, you're, your passion for them ought to be so intense that it's like you were being mistreated. If they're being mistreated, we're all part of the same body. I mean, look, if you bump your foot on the bed at the middle of the night that's not a pleasant thing is it um the rest of your body doesn't say stupid foot i told you to stay out i mean your entire body hurts with you you know you're doing all kinds of contortions that's what he's talking about when one member is hurting we all ought to hurt with that member And by the way, while believers are first called to look after one another, it's quite natural for hospitality and prison ministry to spill over and bless all men and women. It's God's heart reaching out to the world through his children. Verse 4 says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. In this verse, God is saying there are two groups of people that uh, are, are are living in such a way that's going to bring judgment. One is those. One way is, 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 is consists of all those who who are unfaithful to marriage and therefore they're committing adultery. And then there are those who are sexually immoral, and that pretty much. Co- covers everything else. Any other sexual relationship outside of marriage is covered in this verse. In spite of what our cultural norms are, this is the biblical statement about sexual relationships. And any sexual relationship that is not between a married man and woman, is condemned in the strongest terms in Scripture and is said to be ready for God's judgment. And that judgment is talking about judgment in the last day. Now the author was in his words about marriage was addressing two extreme attitudes about sexual activity of the first century. It's not surprising, given what we know about the first century, that a lot of people thought that a sexual relationship being contained to marriage was old-fashioned and it was outdated. Does that sound familiar to you by any chance? Uh, What may not sound familiar is the opposite attitude of abstention from sex. I mean, there were a lot who advanced Plato's philosophy of dual reality, of the material world and a spiritual reality, and and your your goal is to escape this material and, 
and get to the spiritual. And a lot of people say, well, you know, marriage kind of messes with that. It, it just hinders you. It stunts your spiritual growth. So let's just do away with marriage. Gnosticism, I won't have time to go into this, but Gnosticism was a heresy in the church. It was really a philosophy, but the church sort of grabbed on. It was the one heresy that from man's point of view almost got the church. Uh, it was a, an ascetic kind of an attitude, once again, material, spiritual, and all stuff on, in, in this material world is evil. You're just trying to escape the bonds of this life and get to the spiritual. Augustine, the most important theologian outside of the writers of Scripture, uh, was really taken with this philosophy and it impacted the way that he understood God and, and the way that we relate to one another. And he almost thought of sexual activity within marriage even as just wrong. It's just not good. Gnosticism was actually a threat to human civilization because people thought of sex as just nasty. These Gnostics. And so avoid it at all cost. And you can imagine what that does to your population it just begins to dwindle so Paul is or not Paul he didn't I'm not saying Paul wrote Hebrews in fact I think he probably didn't I think it was someone else that we don't know who it was but the author of Hebrews um, is saying he's addressing both of these extremes you can't just live any way you want to or you can't abstain God has a plan a design and it's a beautiful design for the propagation of the race and pleasure within Marriage. We're going to talk about the implications of verse 4 in a few minutes. But first, let's talk about money. Only because the text does. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Make sure you understand it's the love of the money here. The love of money that, that's being talked about here and that Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.10 is the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Not money itself. Make sure you also understand in equal measure that the love of money is a significant sin on all socioeconomic levels. It doesn't matter how much or how little you have. You can be guilty of the sin of wanting more and more and more. There's little doubt, though, that the more money one has, the greater the temptation to love it. It just sort of gets hold of us. And that's why the Lord says in His Word, If riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. We begin to take security in blessings that we have, material blessings that we have in this life. We forget that they are blessings. Uh, I, I'm so thankful. Listen, the reformers, the reformers said, based on this verse, the 16th century reformers said, you should not seek to improve your station in life. God says, be content with what you have. Be, be happy right where you are. God has placed you where you are for a very specific reason. Minister within your group. I'm, I'm so glad we live in a country where we're not only <laughs> permitted to improve our station in life, but we're encouraged to do so. 
At the same time, it's important to remember that a lot of American ideals about financial gain have no biblical support and very easily lead us into sin. Sin that we justify. So we ought to spend some time individually thinking about this text this week. All of the admonition to faithful and gracious living is based on God's gracious and faithful promise to be always with his people. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The life to which the author of Hebrews was calling his audience was in sharp contrast to the general lifestyle of the day. You can imagine that a life characterized by, by loving others more than you love yourself and through generous giving and receiving and contentment in marriage as well as a lifestyle was quite appealing to some, but it was quite convicting to others. And these extreme responses of acceptance and rejection of the gospel, it's the way it's always been. It's the way it always will be until Jesus returns What a privilege to be a part of God's kingdom. Whether we apply it or not, whether we believe it every day as we should or not, we, God has given us the answers to life. It's a beautiful thing that we understand that our life does not consist in the abundance of things that we have. And that there is benefit and value for us in obeying God's commands to be faithful to one another. What a privilege to be a part of God's, responsi- God's kingdom and what a responsibility. I'm hurrying. We've had a lot going on this morning, so I'm hurrying. And I, you know, I get my uh, tongue tangled around my eye teeth and I can't see what I'm saying. And so it's, I'm sorry. And, and now you'll really know why I'm hurrying because I'm going to say before we come to the table, I want us to think about five ways we can obey this text. We're not going to spend equal time on all the points, but we want to begin with love your brothers and sisters well, even when it is difficult. You know, I imagine when you came in this morning, you, you looked at certain people and you thought, oh, I'm just so glad to be in church with this person. And then you looked at others and you're like, you know. If you randomly pick up a New Testament three times and just put your finger on a verse, you're going to be really close to a command in one form or another to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can't do it more than three times, I don't think. And just, this has nothing to do with loving my brothers. It's... So much about we show our love for God by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. In spite of all the songs that make love sound so easy, it can be difficult. If we think it ought to be easy and it's hard, we think something is wrong, must be wrong with him, must be wrong with her, so I'm going to move on. The love commanded in our text is a sacrificial love. I was especially struck with the encouragement to visit those in prison as though we were in prison ourselves. That is 
an intense identification with people. So much so that there shouldn't be any doubt about our love for others. Second, open your heart and your home to believers and unbelievers alike. And some of you say amen to that. And others of you say, no, anything but that. Look, there are other ways to be hospitable than bringing people into your home. I mean, go to lunch with someone. Be intentional about saying hello to your neighbors. Just engage them a little bit. And greet someone at church that's around you, especially if you don't know them. Um, Just reach out to other people. And I know, I know it's difficult for some of you if you're natured a certain way. I, I know how difficult greeting time is for some but look if God commands us to be hospitable then just let's pray that he will give you some measure of advance in this area and look you've got things going on that are really great that are hard for some of the others of us so it's not that one is better than the other it's just that some areas of the Christian life are more difficult than others. Ask God to help you be hospitable as you open your heart to believers and unbelievers alike. The third point of application from our text is to celebrate God's design for sex and marriage through obedience and self-discipline. Really important words that I left out here in marriage. I'm going to imagine that everybody is awake now because even if you were asleep, you heard one word in this title and now you're awake. Um, I, I wonder, don't you wonder where the relationship between the church and the world would be if we didn't have differences uh, about what is acceptable and what is not acceptable in terms of sexual expression? I mean, I'm going to guess the world's going to give us a pass on just about everything else. Jesus is the only way? Well, you guys are narrow-minded. There's a hell. That's really, that's antiquated. But look, you just do your thing, we'll do ours. There is no legitimate sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. What are you talking about? Come on. How can you deny people in a loving relationship... Well, I know how you can deny it because you're so narrow-minded. You're so judgmental. Such ideas are just not going to be tolerated in in a postmodern age. As is so often the case, if we're not careful, we'll be dragged into a shouting match. And we will sound very judgmental and self-righteous. But, if we hold a biblical worldview about God's design for sex in marriage, then we're going to be considered judgmental no matter. There's no, there's no way you can say it nicely that people are not going to think you are out of your mind conservative. You should think carefully though before you abandon your views. Because Hebrews 13 promises God's judgment for all those who are given to immorality. And remember, it's not that God is displeased with sex. Look, I had a quote that I wanted to read. Allison and I went over and over this quote yesterday that talks about the beauty of of the relationship in marriage. Uh, But I thought it was maybe just a little bit too much in this particular setting. God delights 
in our relationships with one another in the context that he has designed, the covenant context that he has designed. David led the ceremony yesterday. Cody and Christina uh, were married, and I've, I've heard him another time lead a marriage ceremony. I love the way that he talks about covenant relationships, the way it's a covenant relationship. It's not just a contract. It's not just an agreement that as long as you hold up your end of the bargain, then I'm good. But if you... No, it's, it's, it's a commitment to one another, and the, and the fullest expression of that commitment is the way that God has designed for us to come together in intimacy, uh, physically loving one another. God celebrates marital love in an extremely emotional and expressive manner in the Song of Solomon. It's my understanding, I haven't run this down, but I think my understanding is that that, that Hebrew men and women didn't let their kids read Song of Solomon until they were much older. Uh, and there's more there than you think is in there. I think that most of us would agree that it's a, this is a difficult area for many people, including those of us who are in Christ. It's always been intriguing to me, and this is going to feel like a line that's right in the middle of things that doesn't relate. It does. You'll see it ultimately. Next week sometime you'll be thinking about it. It's, it's intriguing to me. The thin line that there is between love and hate, between genius and, and madness, between spirituality and sensuality. There is a very thin line. That's why it's not good for men and women who are not married or not going to be married to spend a lot of time praying together on and on and on. If a woman comes to me for counseling, I'm, I, I will definitely pray and I will do that every so often, but I would not be in that kind of a relationship long term. It's too tricky. It's highly likely some of you are struggling in your marriage and you're thinking about walking away. Others of you are living in a relationship that is not sanctioned by the Lord. And some of you are addicted to pornography. And look, for all of these things, at some level, all of us understand the difficulties in this area of life. But please, please, please get help. Have someone help you walk through this difficulty that you're facing. And come alongside of you and be encouraging to you. Hebrews 13 indicates that your struggle is nothing to play around with. Regardless of what the culture says. I'm so proud of you when I see you make decisions that are extremely difficult. And you stay in the place you ought to be, and through obedience and self-discipline, you follow the Lord in this area. The younger you are, the more difficult it is. The intensity of, of, of physical urges and drives, stay close to God and obey His Word. Um, going to see this morning at the table, if you will repent, He will always forgive you. Hebrews has sort of opened up my understanding that, you know, there's a decision where you walk away and there's just no coming back. I, I thought that more than I ever have going through the book of Hebrews. But I will tell you this, if you desire to repent, that's an indication you have not crossed any line.
You repent. You come to the Lord. Say, please forgive me, God. And this morning is an outstanding time to do that between you and the Lord when we come to this table. Four, mercy, I'm in trouble. Ask God for a generous spirit and live as though he has already answered your prayers. I'm just going to skip this first paragraph right quickly because I'm going to see what C.S. Lewis said. He who has God and everything has no more than he who has God alone. Pretty profound, isn't it? He who has God in everything has no more than he who has God alone. The temptation for the poor is to feel abandoned and forgotten by God. The temptation for the rich is to feel smug and self-sufficient and somehow worthy of the riches they have accrued. All such attitudes, all such attitudes spring from a love of money. Contentment with what the Lord has given you may be the best gift of all outside of Jesus. To just be content. A grateful person almost always is a generous person. No matter how much or how little he or she has. Generosity is the cure for the sickness of greed that will hurt you in so many ways. Please understand. I am not attacking. The scripture is not attacking making money. Having goals. That's, that's not the point. The point is being consumed by money. Or being consumed by urges that are ungodly. Or being consumed with just comfort and living your life so that you don't have to worry about any troubles. And if, and if anything is risky, you're not going to do that at all. So ask God for a generous spirit. And while you're waiting, act as though he has already answered your prayer. Give often, give generously. It's not going to take you long to realize the truth of the Lord's word. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, it probably seems at this point that God requires almost everything of his children. That would be almost correct. He requires everything of his children. He recognizes we're flesh, we're dust, and he's patient with us. But Jesus says, unless you give it all up, you cannot be my disciple. But if Jesus has your heart, there's a part of you that longs to do that, to give him everything. That's why you're here this morning when you could be somewhere else. I doubt many of you feel that attendance on Sunday morning is the only thing that the Lord requires of you. You can live any way you want. I know that it's important for you to live a life that pleases the Lord. Today's text certainly demands more of us based on what Jesus did for us. And when we live and serve together in community and we suffer together in community, our hearts rise to the challenge and the power of the Spirit to gratefully trust Him with all of our hearts. There is one last thing though. Be faithful to the end of your life. When the author says, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? He was seeking to strengthen the courage of those who may be called upon to die within weeks or months of reading this letter. Week before last, Allison and I went to the cove. Um, and um, 
were there for a week that Michael Card was leading a seminar. It was the title of the of the seminar was um, let me look at my notes and say recovering the lost language of lament has a book called Sacred Sorrow, Recovering the Lost Language of Lament. And I cannot believe this is the first time his name has come up. You're going to hear from Michael Card a lot more in the coming weeks and months. It was a spectacular week. Um, There was a friend of Michael Card's acquaintance of his who was working uh, in, in a refugee camp in the Middle East, a Syrian refugee camp. And there was a lady who came in with her three or four children, all young children under six years of age, I think, and, and her husband had been a pastor, and he had been martyred. And so they were talking to her and said, so how do you process all of, process all of this with your children? And she said, I tell my children, if bad men come into our tent, close your eyes and we'll wake up with Jesus. That's... The kind of faithfulness that our writer is talking about in Hebrews. That's what God wants us to believe at the level that if bad bad men break into our tent, we can close our eyes and wake up with Jesus. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's pray. Well, Father, um, you require a great deal from us. But you don't tell us that until you tell us what you've done for us. And Father, this entire study of Hebrews, we have been learning about the great sacrifice of the Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for us, who bore our sins. And so, Lord, we give our hearts to you, not because it's an easy thing to do, not because we want to sometimes, but because we are compelled to by your Spirit. And Lord, as in so many things that deal with you, as we take that step toward you, the joy just overflows our hearts. Make us givers, keep us faithful. May we reach out to those who are in the worst places in life. And share the gospel through the ways that we live. We love you. And as we come to your table, our hearts rise before you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask all of our elders and deacons to come, if they would, as we uh, prepare to serve the Lord's table, also the worship team, if you would. Let me invite all of you who confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to join us at the table today. After the scripture is read, uh, the servers and the worshipers, worship team will first partake. Then you'll come forward uh, down these center aisles, middle center, outer center aisles, and ushers will prompt you to come. Please go to the station that is front of you. You can take 
the, the, the bread and the juice. Uh, take it back to your seat if you like, or you can partake right there. So come down the interior aisles. You'll either go up, back up the center, or the exterior aisles. Um, for those of you who are unable to come forward, if you will, we'll have someone in the back. If you would, just raise your hand, and they will be happy to come to you and serve you uh, where you are. In Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 26, we're told, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I will tell you, or I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. In response to the message today, you may either be quite convicted because one of those areas touches almost every one of us in some way or another significant way or you might be just really mad whatever you whatever your response to the message is spend time before the Lord in just this next moment or so just repent of your sin confess your sin to the Lord and say Father I know I've struggled in this area I know I'm I'm not where I need to be in this area please forgive me and any other business you need to do with the Lord do that now and then uh, we will come and partake of the table the table that reminds us that Jesus Christ died for sinners he died while we were yet sinners it's not because there was any goodness in ourselves that commended us to him and said you know I like that guy I think I'm going to come and die for him but because his love for us was so great and he wanted to live with us forever he died in partaking at this table we participate, according to 1 Corinthians 10, with the body and blood of Jesus. Doesn't mean it becomes the, the body and blood of Jesus, but we enter in communion with Him and with one another in a very special way. So it's a privilege to be here today. Thank God for that opportunity and privilege. But just before we come to the table, would you just take a moment and talk with the Lord about your relationship with Him? The Lord says to you at this table, I forgive you. Father, thank you for your willingness to execute a plan that made it possible for us to live eternally with you by sending your son Jesus to live a life that we couldn't live and die the death that we deserved. He was perfect. We were sinful. He died, and yet we receive His righteousness even as He took our sin upon Himself. Thank you for this 
meal that we are about to receive. Thank you for the bread signifying the body of Christ and the fruit of the vine that represents the blood that was spilled on our behalf. We bless your name and ask that you bless this table and our time sharing it together. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you remain standing for the benediction? reminded we are dust, being reminded that the source of everything we need to accomplish what we've been called to today does not live within us apart from Christ. So take this benediction, this this good saying, this well wish from the later part in the the same chapter we've been in in verse 20 of Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him all glory to him forever and ever. And all God's people said together, Amen.